Hey, welcome to TSF Open Mic. My guest is the amazing Jimmy Carr. He's one of the greatest names in stand-up comedy. Jimmy is touring all over the world with his The Best of Ultimate Gold Greatest Hits Tour, in which he tells his favorite jokes from his 18-year career. We talked about a range of subjects. He opened up about the start of his career and the role of humor in our lives. I also questioned him about Louis C.K. Carr says, the public, not the industry will decide what happens to the American comedian. Carr was my first international guest. I plan on having more, so you might want to check every now and then. We're in all major podcast apps. Just search for TSF Open Mic. In the meanwhile, well, you might want to learn Portuguese, maybe? Just kidding. Thank you so much for listening. Hello? Oh, hello. Uh, hello, hi. I'm calling from Portugal to interview Mr. Jimmy Carr. Is that you, Jimmy? Yeah. Oh, hi. How are you? My name is Hugo. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good, man. I'm somewhere in Norway. I couldn't tell you what the name of the town is, but I'm somewhere on tour. Yeah, because uh, you're performing tonight, right? Always performing, man. Always. Yeah, working. yeah. So uh, I'm with TSF Radio in Portugal. I'm the author of TSF Open Mic, a show dedicated to the art and craft of stand-up comedy. Uh, I'm already recording. Okay. okay. Sure. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking this interview, Jimmy. Um, you spend a big part of every year touring. Uh, don't you sometimes think, ah, I'll just take a year off? A, a year? No, I mean, I think comedy, I, I don't know. I kind of like to think of it like it's a job. Like comedy is the job. I, all the other stuff is great, like the TV and film and writing and stuff is all fun. But comedy is a job, and I think you get better at it the more you do it. It's like, um, it's like if you talk to an airline pilot and they tell you, they never t an airline pilot never tells you how long He's been an island pilot. He tells you the amount of hours he's had in the sky. And I kind of view comedy the same way. I think you don't get good unless you do the right amount of hours, unless you, unless you put the work in. Um, so I like to work all the time, just get better at it. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, my problem, and this is a great problem to have in life, work is more fun than fun. My job is so fun that when I have a night off, I think this isn't as good as when I'm working. <laughs> So most, most top comedians from the UK and the US only perform in English-speaking countries or countries with high English skills like Northern Europe. But uh, stand-up is becoming more and more popular uh, internationally. Do you think tours like well, yours could think, pave the way to establish an international stand-up circuit, similar to what happens with bands, for example? I don't think it's, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's so much the tours like mine. I think people are getting better at English globally. I think there's, you're seeing this little shift happen between... Um, how it used to be and how it is now. Like Things like YouTube and uh, Netflix are spreading English, uh, and uh, basically media is spreading, spreading English at a rate unprecedented. So people don't wait around for their show to be dubbed into English anymore. They want to watch it straight away. You know, whether it's a comedy show or Game of Thrones or whatever, no one's bothering to dub that stuff anymore. They're just, you know, so they watch it in, in the original English and they pick up the language. And I think it's, you know, that seems to be becoming more and more prevalent. So I'm touring around the world in, in the Far East. I'm doing South Korea. I'm doing, you know, from Iceland to the Nordic countries, to South Africa, to, uh, you know, all over Europe. And increasingly in places like, you know, Spain and Portugal, where traditionally there would be no sort of British comedy. It's, you know, it's making, you know, people are, because you really know you've learned that language. If you're getting a joke in that language, you really know. Your English is top flight if you can get a joke. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of people in Eastern Europe that use stand-up comedy as kind of a was kind of a fun way to learn English. You'll be performing in Portugal, of course, in in some weeks. Have you already thought about uh, specific things about Portugal that you might want to write jokes about? No, I'll do that on the day. Oh, I mean, I always think there's a really fun thing about arriving in a country because I've got the show. I know what the show is. 
there's an hour and a half of jokes that I already have ready. So all, all I really need to do is kind of on the day, just kind of go, right, what's kicking? What's happening in Portugal? What are you people talking about? And that changes. And sometimes it being really topical is quite fun. And, you know, and otherwise you kind of fall back on, you know, slightly the tourist cliches of like, you can't help but notice as a comedian on the drive from the airport into the middle of town chatting to a couple of people at the hotel. You can't help but notice a couple of little things and make some observations. It's kind of, it's fun. It, makes, it makes the touring very fun because you have to go and talk to people. Do you remember the first time ever you got paid to make people laugh? I, I do, yeah. I think my first ever paid gig was in Plymouth in England. And I drove for about six hours to the gig. I did the gig. I got paid like maybe 80 euros. When was that? Maybe 2000, <laughs> then, maybe? And, yeah, it was around then. Yeah, around 2000. I started around yeah early 2000. I started. No, maybe 2001, something like that was my first paid gig. And uh, I just kind of, I, I worked so much um, that first year. I mean, I just, I adored it. I just kind of suddenly found this thing and kind of went, well, I'll just do it all the time. And I suppose that was graduating because there's three different, you know, stages of comedy. There's making your friends laugh, making strangers laugh, and making strangers laugh for money. Those <laughs> are the levels. And, you know, I kind of graduated. And I felt like a huge... I mean, I suppose success in comedy wasn't the first time I got paid. Success was the first time I maybe did the comedy store in London because it felt to me like getting a weekend there. It felt like, oh, I can live off this. I'm making enough money now that I can, you know, live my life off telling jokes and that to me felt like you know a, a kind of another level of freedom mm -hmm. you've said what you're looking for in comedy is approval does this put stand up in the realm of mental illnesses uh yeah i mean i think there's a there's a very strong argument to say that um all stand-up comics have got there's something missing you know there's there's something i think regular people look at stand-ups and go why would you put yourself through that that's such a it's such a difficult job to do, um, uh, you know, because most people don't want to speak publicly and, you know, the idea of having to make a thousand people laugh is kind of a little bit nerve-wracking and unpleasant. And stand-up comics kind of love the idea of that. So, I don't know, I, yeah, I think, there's a, I think there's a strong case. I mean, there's, a, there's an awful lot kind of written about, you know, comics being manic-depressive or something. I don't think that's the case. I think it's, um, but it's a, it's a need to kind of uh, somehow get the approval of strangers. It's pretty... It's pretty needy. You know, if you need that every day, which I do. You've written a wonderful book on comedy, The Naked Jape. Uh, what's your favorite oh, humor theory? Superiority, incongruity, relief? What's your favorite? Uh, my favorite theory is uh, benign violation. Um, uh, How does that work? That, uh, no. Well, it's the idea that no joke is offensive. Uh, you know, every joke is a. Um, it's a sure. It's a. You know, the, you take something that's a violation in the world, whether it's you know, violence or, or, or tragedy, and you make a joke of it, and you make it benign by making a joke of it. So you you basically, uh, if you imagine two Venn diagrams, mm -hmm. and in one, uh, you know, violations, and in one, uh, you know, benign things, and the crossover between the two, like, you can't really sort of tell jokes about the very benign, because it kind of doesn't, it doesn't really, you know, there's no edge to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not funny. Uh, and uh, and equally, you know, something could just be offensive for the sake of it. There's, there's nothing there either. So... It's that kind of, it's finding the right mix. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that brings me to my next question. Comedy is getting more and more under the radar of uh, political correctness uh, to the point that some venues require comedians to not joke about certain subjects. What's your opinion on that? I, I, don't, I don't think that that's true. Um, I mean, best will in the world. I think that's, that's one of those things that I think maybe overreported. Um, because I think there's a couple of universities uh, that have very, you know, safe spaces mm -hmm. and they don't want to have comedians joke about anything um, because they, 
uh, they, they don't feel that that's right for them, and that's you know their business. But I think most people kind of view comedy as uh, it, comedy venues and comedy clubs are the ultimate in safe spaces because it's you're basically saying, well, this is a safe space because we've all agreed that we're coming here just to laugh. We've all agreed that this is this is a, a, an arena of our lives that isn't that's just fun. We're just trying to have fun here. So no one's trying to make a serious point. We're just trying to have fun. So I think they are. I think people feel pretty safe in a comedy club. So if you were starting now, uh, you, you think it wouldn't be a problem, the kind of material that you do uh, because of political correctness, it wouldn't be a problem and you would have had the same chances to grow as a comedian. Uh, um, I think it maybe would be different now. And I think... Um, You know, I have my, I think it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing where, um, you know, stylistically, my sense of humor is quite dark. And that's, I don't think that is in favor at the moment. That is not, you know, and there is, and things ebb and flow, you know, history ebbs and flows. At some stages, very dark comedy is, is all the rage. And at some stages, you know, people want things to be a little bit safer. And at the moment, I think people want things to be a little safer. But that's not my sense of humor. I, I don't find, um, Uh, you know, very safe stuff, uh, terribly funny. I prefer to tell uh, slightly edgier jokes, but I'm not shouting them through someone's letterbox. Uh, I'm telling them live on stage to a paying audience that have the same sense of humor as me, give mm -hmm. or take. So I feel very comfortable with that. I feel like it's the stuff that I do on television would be slightly more uh, palatable, I think, for a general audience. And the live stand-up is just pure. That's my sense of humor. That's what I find funny. And if you don't find it funny... You're entitled to your opinion, but this is my show, not your show. Um, do you have a worst time I bombed story you want to tell us? Worst time I bombed? Yeah. Um, not, not really. I mean, I think it's like, sometimes you're like, I, I'm just doing um, <clears throat> warm-up shows now for the new tour. And it's, uh, it's kind of interesting, like, uh, you know, because I've, I've been doing this best-of tour. The tour that I'm bringing to Portugal is the best-of tour. So you're just like dropping bombs for like a couple of hours. It's like you got, all of these jokes work. They were all, all my favorite jokes from the last, like, you know, 18 years or something. Um, so that's really, they're really fun to do. And then you're doing new stuff again, and you're going, you know, you've, uh, you know you're excited. There's a new idea for a joke. I've got this. This is going to kill. And then you say it to an audience, and that you get nothing. And it's really humbling. You kind of go, oh, right, okay. I'm, you know, you're only as good as your material. Certainly, mm -hmm. you know, with my performance style, that, like, there's nothing really performance-wise in my show. It's all about uh, the material. I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a humbling thing. And, you know, Lenny Bruce said it best. He said the audience is a genius. The audience decide what is and what isn't acceptable and what is and what isn't uh, funny. So all you can do is present them with a thousand jokes and then hopefully, um, you know, you get 300 back that the audience go, yeah, that's good enough. So Louis C.K. is trying to come back, but he's having a lot of backlash. It seems there are a lot of people trying really hard that he never works again. Uh, what's your take on that? Does he deserve a chance at coming back? Well, I think, uh, you know, ultimately the audience will decide. You know, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there are people that are big fans of, uh, you know, people's comedy. And, they're, they, you know, they, they're not making a value judgment. They're just going to go and see um, whether it's Louis or Aziz or <clears throat> anyone else that's been, you know, talked about. Um, I think they'll, they'll make a decision and, you know, the public will ultimately decide. Mm -hmm. The industry, industry and comedy, I don't think it's ever really made a decision or, as to who's going to be the next star. People make that decision. People decide because they go and see someone and <clears throat> you can't fake laughter. What you find funny is what you find funny. It's very much like your sexuality. It's like a, it's a, it's a, a response, a reflex laughing. It's why you get that lovely thing of kind of cognitive dissonance where 
you can laugh at something and find it kind of offensive at the same time because you laugh and you, you found it funny and then you go, oh, hang on, morally, maybe I shouldn't have laughed at that. But then it's too late because you've already laughed, mm-hmm. kind of shown your true colours. I think people can't fake what they find funny. So if they find Louis C.K. hilarious and they think he's the funniest comedian, then I think if he puts on a show, they'll probably buy a ticket and go and see the show. Do you remember your very first open mic? Yeah. How was it? Yeah, it was in a little place in Islington, in the Tuckshire. It was enough to give me... Were you nervous? Uh, I, I'd gone to see... Uh, yeah, I was a little bit nervous, and then I'd, I'd, I'd seen an awful lot of comedy. I'd seen enough comedy that I knew it was going to be okay. Ah, okay. Because I think there's a thing where, when you start doing comedy, when you start going to comedy as a like, comedy fan, you go and see famous people that have been on TV, right? That's what you do right. first. So you go and see these big stars, and you go, oh my God, I'm going to go and see this big star, he's going to be amazing. And he is. You know, big stars are funny. They know exactly what they're doing. And they know why they're doing it, and they're they're on point. How much time did you, you do it on your? Clubs, and you watch people see 20 minutes, and then you go and see. You know, the next level is you go and see other open spots. You go and see other new comics mm-hmm. before you start doing it. So then you start seeing people doing 10 minutes, and they're kind of just okay. Mm-hmm. So then you feel better about doing your first five minutes, and it's just okay. But I got a couple of very big laughs, and I felt like I felt like very early on my style. My I didn't choose my style. My my style chose me. So the idea of like. It's all wordplay and construction with me. It's not going to be, um, you know, real stories from life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy, this is my last question. Why do you like making people laugh? I think it's the, I mean, my favorite quote is, is the Victor Borg quote. Uh, Laughter is the shortest distance between two people. It really feels like there's a connection. That there's, I mean, even, it's kind of ironic given the type of comedy that I do, which is, you know, pretty edgy. But there's something incredible about the connection you get with a thousand people in a room laughing. And I read this thing about, uh, you know, recently about how you're eight times more likely to laugh if you're with other people. So if you come out and see my show as opposed to watching the Netflix special, you're much more likely to laugh out loud. And although you can watch something on TV and find it funny, you tend not to laugh out loud with your headphones on watching it. Uh, it, it's when you go out, it's a social activity. It's a, it's a, it's a way that we bond with a group. It's, it's, um, uh, it's remote tickling. And actually, it's kind of remote grooming. It's, 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 one of the, it's one of the most fundamental things in life. You know, la- laughter predates language by about a million years. It's a different part of our physiology that we use to laugh than we do to speak. It's, it's older than language. It's, we've always done this. It strikes me that it's a it's a, an incredibly human uh, and and lovely way to to connect. It's okay. a privilege to do this job. Okay, Jimmy, thank you so much for this uh, interview. My name is Hugo, as I said. Well, to be honest, Jimmy, Hugo is not how I say my name, but if I say it with the Portuguese pronunciation, I'll just sound like an angry gorilla, Hugo. So, Hugo, it was for you. <laughs> uh, okay, Hugo. Uh, yeah. Nice so, uh, you, yeah, very nice meeting you, Jimmy. Thank you so much, and uh, looking forward to see my you pleasure. here in Lisbon. Bye, bye. Well, listen, hopefully I think it's been something funny. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.